Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, if you've been following along, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we're going to be talking about that later. Just a little refresher, when we talk about Advent, what we're talking about is arrival, because Advent, it means arrival, and it's this four-week period that the body of Christ celebrates leading up to Christmas when we talk about hope. That's what we're talking about today, hope, love, joy, and peace. And in doing this, we do this because it's a celebration that Jesus is here, but it's also a celebration of the new life that we have through Jesus Christ in our lives. And we, we do this as a reminder because how many of you need reminders? I mean, your reminder app, hey Siri, remind me to do this, remind me to do that. We are forgetful people. We need to be reminded of things. And especially as it relates to Christmas, there's, there's so much going on. There's a, we are highly distracted by the movies. I love the movies. I'm, I'm working my way through Christmas movies. I also have committed to walk through all the Lord of the Rings movies every year because I love Jesus. And um, there's all those traditions. Those are good. The Christmas songs are good. You know, I tried to hold off to play Charlie Brown Christmas until Thanksgiving, but my family wouldn't let me. So uh, we've been listening to that. These are good things. But we need to be reminded that every good thing we see, all that we get to experience, this love, joy, hope, peace that we have, it's all because of who? Jesus. Because of the life that he's brought. Because of everything that we have is because of him. So over these next four weeks, we're going to be doing that. And and we're going to be concluding with our candlelight service, which I'm so excited about, on Christmas Eve. What date is that? 24th. At 7 p.m. Wonderful time great time. I want to encourage you, invite somebody. Last year, I had so many people from the neighborhood who don't go here ask me if we were doing a candlelight service, and I was like, we're doing one next year, so very excited about that. But let's dive in. This week, we're focusing on hope, and we're focusing on hope because we are a people of hope. It's all about hope. We've been made by God, for God, and alive for his purpose, which gives us hope. See, hope is an essential part of our well-being. Having hope is essential to having that life to the full that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. See, we really, we don't do anything without hope. Have you ever, how long have you stayed at something that felt hopeless, right? And I'm not talking about your sport teams, though the Kraken are doing great this year, by the way. Okay, yes, I, I knew that would bring the glory of God to this place, okay? We need hope. See, we plant a seed in the spring because we have hope that it will grow. Right? We cheer for teams or we join a team with the hope that we will win, that we will do well. We get out of bed in the morning because we have some hope. As a matter of fact, if we don't have hope, that's when we struggle to get out of bed. Have you been there? In the morning where you're like, if, when you feel like hope is gone, it's hard to move. It's hard, it's hard to be motivated to anything. If we remove hope, life seems to fade away from us. That's why Christmas is all about hope. I love how Jesus said it in Matthew 4, 16. This is the Christmas message, this message of hope. When Jesus said, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, a shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. See, these were the words that began Jesus' ministry. And they were the words that were prophesied by Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And these words, they reveal our problem. They reveal, they reveal our situation. See, in the world that we're in, we don't think about darkness very much. I mean, we're surrounded by light. 
I mean, I have a flashlight for everything. We have so many candle lighters around our house. We have ones that you click. We have one, the torch is my favorite. Have you found that one yet? Keep it away from the kids. I'm thankful I didn't have that when I was a kid. But we have lights for everything. We light up the world, special lights. But for us, it's kind of hard to imagine what it would be like without light. But have you ever had to go without your, your phone? Have you ever been away from Wi-Fi? It's a pretty dark place, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you were to walk into any kind of group, and especially the younger that we go, and say the Wi-Fi is down, I mean, it's like those would be the worst words you could say to anybody. It, it feels like darkness. It feels like there's no hope. How will we function? How will we get on? And spiritually, we become so distracted and, and surrounded by so many counterfeits that we often don't realize the spiritual state of our world because everything at times can seem to be good until we turn on the news or, or we, we follow this feed on Twitter and we see the brokenness and we see the darkness. See, people who walk in darkness get hurt. When we try to walk across a room with no light in it, we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable of hitting things. We're, we are vulnerable and succumb to even hurting other people around us because we can't see. Without light, we're stumbling, and, and this causes us to be very fearful and, and be overwhelmed with it, where we can often become responsive and led by fear. That's why this message of Christmas is such a great hope. Again, in Matthew 4, where it says, that we're dwelling in darkness, but we've seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them this light has dawned, and it's the arrival of Jesus. See, this was the anticipation of the nation of Israel over 2,000 years ago. Countless prophecies, even beyond Isaiah, that talked about the arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus being the light of the world, and it's the hope that enabled them to push through all the difficulty, to push through slavery, to push through dominant kings, dominant dictators. This hope enabled them to keep pushing forward, to keep looking forward. See, hope is what enables a person to endure great pain and hardship. And if you're with us last week, you heard me quote this great book by Samuel Chan called Leadership Pain. And in it, he talks about how our growth, the level of the growth in our life, is in direct proportion to the level of pain we're able to handle and endure. Doesn't that stink? <laughs> I mean, don't you wish that? Boy, is it enough just to learn it? Is it enough just to read about it? Do I have the process? Do I have to go this through? But anybody who's grown, anyone who's lived, talk to anybody who's 65 or wiser, and they'll tell you that out of great pain in their life, there's been great learning. There's been great growth. Nothing grows without pain. Pain is a process with it. See, there are great stories of men and women who, in the midst of overwhelming circumstances and situations, situations that have crushed so many others, they were able to endure and make through overwhelming odds because of one thing, hope. Even Star Wars, there's no hope, Obi-Wan, Right? Hope is the underscore for every great movie out there. We need hope. Because as long as we keep believing, there's this drive inside of us that enables us to take that one more step. And it's often that one more step right before we want to give up. That's where the breakthrough happens, isn't it? That one more step. But what we put our hope in determines our outcome. Because it's not just one more step anywhere. It's one more step in the right direction. It's putting your hope, it's leaning into the right thing. See, if we lean on a false hope, it will give way and it will pull us down. If, if you put your hope in an anchor, it's going to drag you all the way down. But when we lean on something that's strong, something that's hopeful, the, the true hope, 
Nothing in this life will be able to crush us. And this, this is what Christmas is about, the one true hope. It's getting through all the stuff. It's walking through it so that we can lean into the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is true today, that Jesus is the only hope. It was true over 2,000 years ago. And so much has been written about it, so much has been said about it. But if we're really a people who are living in darkness, as Isaiah has written, then how can we miss the light? I mean, if you're in a dark room and someone shines a light on you, you're going to see it, right? I mean, have you ever been laying in bed and like a sibling comes up and shines a light in your eye? There's no way that you can miss it, but yet we do. I mean, after all, nothing attracts our attention more than light. So why do we often miss the hope of Christmas in us? Well, I believe it's what Tim Keller often refers to. And Tim Keller writes, he's written prolifically about this concept that there are really two different versions of Christmas being celebrated today. Two different types. See, from the outside, it looks like we're all doing the same thing. We're all going to the same stores. We're all shopping online. We're all buying gifts. We're all doing wish lists. We're all listening to Warm 106.9 or whatever you listen to. We're listening to, I say, Charlie Brown Christmas, and everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? Right? Yes. It's the great one. See, it looks like the same. The, decor- the de- de- decorations look the same. The music, the gifts, even in the holiday coffees. My favorite is the Noglot. Have you had a Noglot yet where you got some espresso and you got some eggnog in there? Did you know that's the right name? Thank you, Maria Tavani. See, everyone loves a good celebration. Everyone loves a great party, and we all join in. But the great tragedy is that in so many of these parties, the guest of honor has been left out. The reason why we're gathering together And how is it possible that all of this started by Jesus, but yet Jesus is omitted from so many things pushed to the side? Why is Jesus omitted from from all of this? Well, it's this tension. It's this tension that carries away. See, Christmas carries with it a history of great tension. And that's what we're going to be leaning into throughout this Advent series about this tension that happens. And there's a tension because there's this gap between expectation and reality. You know what I'm talking about? There's this gap between what we expect and the reality that we face. And this gap is often called disappointment. So many have referred to it. John Maxwell's referred to it. Dr. Henry Cloud's referred to it. So many have referred to it that so many of our challenges that we have in life, so much of the tension that we have in life is come from this gap between what we expect to happen and then what really happens, and then it smashes together. How many of you, you've hit some hard walls in that area of your life, right? This, I expected this. My wife had a big reality check when she, checked, when she uh, married me. <laughs> there's the happy Dwayne that she knew about, but then when you live with somebody 24-7, there's this reality that comes out, right? Are you shocked by that? But if you lean into the tension, just like in marriage, just like in anything else, there's this wonderful growth opportunity that comes in. And as it relates to Christmas, I invite you to lean into this tension today because this is one of the great tensions of all time, and it's right around Christmas, and it's the tension between a king on a throne versus a baby in a manger. See, our great tension with Christmas comes from the expectation of a king on a throne, but then what we got was a baby in a manger. See, what we expected, we expected this king on a throne because from the beginning of time, there were prophecies about the Messiah. And the first prophecy happens all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when God says, he shall bruise your head and shall bruise his heel. See, this is a prophecy that was spoken 
to Satan in the form of the serpent of, of a serpent, and it's a prophecy that was given by God as he was handing out judgment to those who brought sin into the perfect world that he created, Adam, Eve, and Satan. But even in the middle of this, even in the middle of the prophecy, and the middle of God's judgment, I want you to lean into the love of God in this. Because as God stepped into the perfect world that he created for all of us, this world that now sin had entered into through Adam and Eve, even as he's handing out judgment, do you hear the love of God in this? He's giving judgment, but he's saying one day, sin will be destroyed forever. Speaking of Jesus. See, throughout the Old Testament, prophecies continue to speak of the power of the Messiah. And it's powerful imagery. It's so powerful that even those who don't believe in God, atheists sing about Jesus during Christmas time. There's, there's several choirs throughout our city that they'll talk about how there are atheists that are singing about Jesus and his power because the text is just undeniable. It's this powerful imagery. And I think one of my, my favorites is the text we have today from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is one of, what I believe is one of the greatest pieces of music ever written. And it's the Hallelujah Chorus. You ready to sing? Get all warmed up. This is why you're here today. But Isaiah 9, chapter 6 verse, uh, through 7, it says, For unto us a child is born. You want to sing, don't you? For unto us a child is born. Unto us. Got to wait. A son is given. Unto us a son is given. We'll rehearse the rest. But it keeps going. It says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince. Yeah. And then it says, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. I mean, you probably want to go online and start getting your tickets now for Benaroya Hall. They're going fast. See, the language that was used for the Messiah is powerful, and it's, it's filled with this conquering language, and it's filled with hope. Because Isaiah, he wasn't the only prophet who talked about this. Jeremiah prophesied, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Powerful language. See, the perception from all of these prophecies was that Jesus, the Messiah, he would come as a conquering king like an earthly king. <laughs> right? It's just, you got this power, you got this strength, and he's coming in. And is he king of kings and lord of lords? Yes, he is. And for the first century culture, this was especially encouraging because this was a hard place. This was, I'm talking real persecution where Caesar would have these games where they would tear Christians apart, just horrific things. It was hard. See, Rome was in charge, and the Israelites had been conquered many times by many kings. And so for them, hearing about these prophecies, leaning into these prophecies, was a hope-filled thing. And I think it leans into us because when we think about hope a lot of times, we think about God showing up as the conquering king, and he changes all the external circumstances around us. He takes care of that guy, and he takes care of that guy, and he takes care of that guy, and he protects this guy. How many like that? Isn't that great? God loves me. I heard he loves you, but you better get your act together, but he loves me a lot. 
We like that king, right? We vote for that king. I'll become a citizen for that king. We'll, we'll come in because we want that conquering king. And there's this expectation here that the, this, this world is like, it's about an us versus them mentality, right? Crush them, destroy them. This is the expectation. But the problem with all this is that we've missed the true enemy. We think the enemy is out there. We think it's that other guy. We think the other person. We think it's that person who hurt me. We think it's that person who said something bad about me. We think it's that person who didn't even look at my Amazon wish list before they bought me a gift. Right? You see, the problem is when we focus on the other person, we focus on all their problems, when we focus on thou hurt me, we've missed the greatest enemy. And the greatest enemy is who? It's me. It's ourselves. That's why Jesus, in Matthew 7, 5, he brought this correction. And he said, look, as it relates to all this, first, get the log out of your own eye. Some versions say, get the beam out of your eye before you deal with a speck in the other person's eye. Isn't that tough? What he's saying is that often that we are so blinded by our own sin, we're so blinded by our own stuff, we're so blinded by that they hurt me. And some of you have really been hurt, so I don't say that to minimize it at all. But what Jesus is saying, and he's done this time and time again with his disciples, with so many people, he spoke to the thousands, but then he got with Peter, and then he got with the woman at the well, and he got with the woman caught in adultery, everything, And he protected them, and he came in and said, now, let's deal with the thing that's destroying you. Let's deal with your own beam. Let's deal with all that, because there's no way that you can go through and help and even try to look at the speck that you're seeing until you deal with your own stuff. I got stuff. You got stuff. All God's children got stuff. And so to address this problem, what did Jesus do? What did God do? He sent the Messiah, the conquering king, the king of kings, lord of lords, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, in the form of a little baby. See, we expected this king. What we received is a baby in a manger. Don't you love babies? I mean, our young marrieds, I mean... Our church is doubling with all the babies around here. It's so wonderful. Isn't this amazing? Oh, my goodness. I love it. I, love it. I got to hold little Eden last night and watch hockey, just giving her a bottle. She never cries when she watches hockey with me. That's, that's true, isn't it? See, though, Jesus, he's king of kings. He's lord of lords, absolutely. But we forget that... What does this whole prophecy begin with in Isaiah 9? It begins with, For unto us a child is born. Right? (laughs) Not a till the hun, not like some conquering king, not all this stuff. A child is born. A child in a manger. I mean, why would Jesus come as a baby? He was missed by so many people. So many missed. Why would Jesus come as a baby? He came so that we could know him. 
See, there are a lot of conquering kings in this world, and I don't know any of them. None of those conquering kings have come to my house. Have they come to your house? Kings don't come to your house except to conquer. But a baby shows up. I have all kinds of babies coming through my house. Stephanie's talking to Riley and Hannah already about grandchildren. (laughs) Take your time. (laughs) Right? We love babies. All of you would pay more attention to me right now if I went and got little Eliana and brought her up here. She'd be like, oh. (laughs) See, a baby cannot be ignored. And one of the biggest distinctions about Christianity from all the other belief systems, all the other foundations, all the other religions of the world is that our Savior came to be known by us and for us to know him, to have this relationship. And even as he came and talked to his disciples, he had to break down so many of the false perceptions. And one of the biggest things that he said that blew everyone's mind as it relates to this, they're expecting this big king. He looked at his disciples and he said, I now, I call you friend. You're my friend because you know the will of the Father. He walked with them in discipleship. He developed this relationship. He went to people's homes so much that he was called a friend of sinners. He wasn't concerned about a political campaign. He wasn't like, no, don't call me friend of sinners. He was worried about the heart. See, in my life, it's not about God taking care of the other guys, but God taking care of this guy. (laughs) Because he needs to conquer my heart and my life. And so he came as a baby because who would be scared of a baby? Have you ever been scared of a baby? Some of you may say, well, sometimes. Right? But, but when I look around and I see the babies and babies in the wiggle room and babies downstairs and babies at Fred Meyer, wherever, my heart warms. My heart warms to that. And while going through it, see, the baby changes everything in the home. When the baby comes in the home, everything changes around it. When a baby comes to my home, I put Stanley in his in his special room for a little while. That's, that's my dog. He's 100 pounds. <laughs> because I want to make sure they feel comfortable. I want to make sure the baby's safe. We pick things off the floor. We, we change things around. Our schedule changes around. Everything changes when a baby comes in. But when you look at babies, they're, they're some of the most approachable people in our society. They're quick to love. They're non-threatening. They make you slow down. They make you take notice. I mean, if you hold a baby and you still try to scroll and stuff on this phone, it's not going to go well very long. You need to get you both arms. You embrace the baby. It gets our attention. Our schedules change. I mean, ask any parent. Ask any parent what has changed when the baby came into your house. Any parent, they're going to say, my time changed, my budget changed, my sleep changed, my attention changed, everything changed. Any parent disagree with that? It changes everything. And how do we love the Lord our God? With all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything. Is he a conquering king? Absolutely. Is he king of kings, lord of lords? Absolutely. One day, is he going to return and set up a rule with a new heaven? 
of a new earth and judgment? Yes. But before that happens, the heart of God, Jesus, the light of the world, the hope of the world, is to change us, to change you, and to save all of your enemies, and to change you, because you're probably an en- someone else probably views you as an enemy. It's all of us. It's changing all of us. See, Jesus became a baby in order to humble himself to be known by us. That's why when Jesus described himself, he described himself as humble and lowly. And he did this in order to change us. Because when you know Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, you are changed. See, we are transformed. Being a Christian is not just about reading your devotional book and going through and going check, 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 underlining and highlighting. That's great, and I do that. Being a Christian is about being transformed. It's about surrendering yourself and saying, now that I know you, I humble myself and I want to be changed. And then King Jesus, he comes in and he conquers our heart and he lives in us and he fills us and he empowers us to do above and beyond anything we could ever ask, anything we could imagine. The things that I hunger for changes to the point where if you've given your life to Christ and it's cost you nothing, you need to ask yourself, have I given myself to Jesus? Because when you give yourself to a baby, a baby will change you. Your budget changes. You can't have as many lattes as you used to unless you come to my house. You can't have, everything changes. A baby costs you something. This is the hope, the light of the world. I'm saying, Jesus, change me. Be alive in me. Because, because Jesus said that Yes, he's the light of the world, but when he talks to us and when he refers to us, instead of referring to us as having the light, Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, no, I want you now to be the light of the world so that we can let our light shine before others and people may see your good deeds and glorify God. And to do that, he has to change us. Seattle doesn't need Dwayne walking around with a little flashlight kind of shining around. Seattle needs Dwayne totally transformed, totally overcome with the power of the Holy Spirit so that light shines through me so that wherever I go, I decrease, Jesus increases, and I will do things that before I wouldn't do. And I'll change my schedule in ways that I wouldn't change it before. And I'll love in ways that I wasn't even able to love before because baby Jesus came in, changed me, transformed me, and King Jesus now sits on the throne of my heart. Not on a throne somewhere that in a geographic location, right here. And until I do that, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to lack hope. I'm going to be filled with so many other things until the light of Jesus comes in and changes me where now I'm light because of him. See, doing this, it meant that Jesus had to come as a baby. Hebrews is such a great commentary on the Bible. In Hebrews 2, it says, it was necessary for him, this is Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself has gone through suffering and gone through testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. That's why John starts off with, the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. This is King Jesus, the hope of the world. And he came not to domineer us, but to change us. Aren't you glad that he did that? See, I deserved a king that would come in 
But I'm telling you, the king that I deserved was a king that would give judgment in my life. But Jesus said, I want to change you. I want to transform you. I want to redeem you back to the way that you were made to live, filled with hope. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together. Stand if you can. If you can't stand up, I understand. But if you can stand, let's stand before King Jesus. Jesus, we recognize you as our king today, as our king of kings and Lord of lords. But Jesus, we also, we don't want to miss the fact that you came as a baby so that we could be known, that we could know you, that you could change us and transform us. So Lord, do your work in us today, whether we've been serving you for decades or today's day one. Open our eyes to you. Let this Christmas be different. Let the things that we've forgotten, the things that we've ignored, be reminded in our spirit today, I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to, as in every week, it's important that we respond to the word. Otherwise, this was just a good speech, and you can get better speeches out there. But I want you to ask yourself today, where's my hope? How is my hope today? That when I talk about Jesus coming in and transforming us and now transforming us into being the light because he is in us. How's that hope in your heart today? Have you been praying for a king to conquer everybody else when Jesus keeps knocking on your door and saying, let's deal with your stuff first? And to do that, we got to look at our perceptions, right? It's that gap between expectation and reality that maybe you're filled with disappointment and that's pushing all of your hope out. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in and speak to you. Say, Holy Spirit, show me today. Speak to my hurt. Speak to those parts of me. Speak to that part that needs to be converted to you. The things I've ignored, the things I've justified. A lot of times you can find that where your perceptions are off because that's also where you're frustrated. Anybody frustrated today? Let me encourage you. Bring that to the Lord. Just say, Jesus, what needs to change? Amen? I'm going to invite the prayer teams to, to come forward. And as they come forward, I want to encourage you to do something that may be very bold for you today. I grew up in a church where we went to the altar every Sunday. And the altar was just a place where you met God and you met somebody else and said, please pray for me. Please help me today. Please walk with me today. Maybe your altar is down right here, praying with them or just taking some movement because there's something about taking a step. There's something about making a movement. See, text is great, but there's a difference in me texting and saying, I love you and I'm with you, and a difference in me showing up on, the, on, on their door with, with a nog lot saying, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to love you today. Let me encourage you to step out. Go to somebody that you trust here. These are all wonderful people. Pray with somebody. Go to the prayer wall. Go to communion. We have our communion stations set up and just take that bread and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. As your body was broken for me, Lord, take care of 
of the things in my life that need to be taken care of, the, the beam in my eye, whatever it may be, my hurts, my disappointments, show me, show me how I need to see things differently. Let's take some time just to respond. Let's respond and apply it and live it, amen? You're the center of it all, Jesus. You're, you're in the center of it all. Every good and perfect gift we have is from you. And God, I pray that you would, as you transform us, as you heal us, as you remove the dirt from our eyes that needs to be removed, as you clean up our hearts and our lives. Lord, help us to be mindful of those that are around us, those that it looks good, it looks good, but Lord, they, they need you. We all need you. Every human being made by you for your purpose. Speak to us. Show us how to invite. Show us how to have a conversation with people. Show us how to love them, how to invite them, whether it's to Christmas Eve or a Sunday morning or to a group or for coffee, whatever it may be. Lord, show us. Show us as we step outside of ourselves to be used by you. We give you glory and we give you honor. King Jesus, light of the world, our hope in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for being here today. Again, just a reminder, make sure that you have this. And we also have digital versions online. Uh, send those links out. Send, send those links out to people. Invite them. Invite them to church on Sunday morning. Be inviting people to our candlelight service. Such a wonderful service. It's a family service. I know we talk about it a lot, but I'm pretty excited about it. But it's about us inviting people. Find someone to invite. Amen. Adults will have candles. Little kids, we're going to give them little lit candles, little battery-operated stuff. So. <laughs> Because we're wiser today. So thank you for being here today. As we leave today, this is our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. Love you all so very much. God bless.